0: This is VC Projects podcast. And today my guest is Shane Gafog, who is an American artist that looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations, both past and present, and views times as thread that connect all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by the spiritualism of abstraction and the realism of the old masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gafog fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century um shane thank you for joining me today
1: you're welcome it's a what's the date today monday something i don't know
0: monday november 28th 2008 but 22
1: 22 you're a time traveler 22. not 23 it's 22.
0: let's not get ahead
1: of ourselves (laughs)
0: I'm ready for 23 Um, isn't that
1: always the case you know at the end of the year you're like okay I'm done with this and the idea that there's a new cycle of time starting and that cycle is based on the sun because the sun hits the lowest point in the sky on December 22nd and it's the shortest day of the year and it stays there for three days and then on the 25th it rises again the sun is reborn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll say no more.
0: No, no, connect they,
2: the dots, people.
0: Uh, today, I, I'm here in the blue room on Western Avenue, and we're inside the little gallery space we created um, in between your studio life, and you're in Strathmore at your ranch. Um, yes, about almost if i drive three hours away <laughs> so if i
1: drive if i drive is two hours and 30 minutes away
0: um so we're we are time traveling a little bit time and space and uh we're meeting we're doing this on zoom so thank you zoom for giving the opportunity to do this podcast um today we're we're going to talk about this show that we we put together um I was inspired by Tony Cardella's uh, musical performance of his Franz Liszt concert. Um, I'm a friend of, a fan of Franz, Franz Liszt, but uh, I did more research and um, really sort of resonated with his um, symphonic poems that he did that are actually more orchestral, inspired by art and literature and his transcendental um, etudes that he did at 15 years old and went back into them and um, I felt like these works we curated together, um, Patience in the Blue, A Sainted Hunger and Crossings, really kind of resonated to this concept of transcendental consciousness, transcendental, uh, I don't know, journey. Um and, and these paintings I'm gonna stop in a second. Uh, they're early paintings for you. They're magnificent. I always wanted to do a show with these, so I'm so um thrilled about this. And let's begin. Let's 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 talk about first. You know, are you in in agreement that these are somewhat transcendental?
1: I am, and I think, I think most of my work is, you know, heads in that direction. And the, the Patience in the Blue Painting, um, I started that there, but not in that room. It was what is now the living room, dining room. At Back in 1993 and 94, 95, that was my studio. And there's a 14-foot-long wall. That was my main painting wall, and the ceilings are 11 feet tall. And so it allowed me to step back a good 12 feet and look at it. And I had a ladder in there, and I was up and down the ladder. And I would time, I was um, still a studio assistant for Edward Shea. And I would go to work in Venice Beach at his studio, you know, three days a week. Um, and then I would come back there and paint. And I'd do things around the building there, Western Avenue building, that um, was Ed's studio. And that, that that studio there, that first studio of mine was actually Ed's bedroom living room. And so when I took it over, came to visit, and um, he was surprised that I had made it into a studio. And he said, no, this is where you should be putting your bed. And, and you're, you know, living in here, you should be painting in the other room. I said, no, 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 this is where I want to paint. This is where I need to paint. And he's, you know, kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, you know, that's your deal. But I needed to look at that painting. I needed to be able to step back. And I remember very, very distinctly that the patterns in that painting, it's a split image. And there's these little marks on the painting surface. And I, they came from an image that I saw in a Smithsonian Magazine. And I think it was probably back in 18, 19, 18, 1990. And it was these little, it was a dark page with these little green dots. And I thought that's really interesting, these oblong markings. I thought that's really interesting. So I tore it out of the magazine. I just pinned it to the wall. I didn't want to know what it was. I was only interested in the image itself. And I stared at it for months and months and months. And then I started doing drawings of it. And then I realized that in my own way, that these little oblong marks, some of them were parallel to each other. And then there was groupings of them. And some of them seemed to be doing their own thing. But I realized that the placement of each mark seemed to be dictated by everything else around it. So I thought, well, maybe these are points of information and and it's informing everything else, what to do and how to behave, right? And so that if they're all doing that, then it becomes like this biological organism. So in my mind, I had made up the, I connected my own little dots and that it was a image under a microscope so then i decided to start a large painting of it i think the painting was like 70 by five and a half feet or six feet that. and with these deep reds and these these markings became um, again points of light and i was still playing with the ribbon motif at that time and the ribbon was now basically calligraphy that was just running through Painting. But anyway, so when I turned the magazine page over and read what it was, I was very surprised because it was actually a snapshot of the Dallas-Fort Worth airport radar screen. So, yes, indeed, every placement of everything was being dictated by everything else around it. So it was a macrocosm, not a microcosm, which was fascinating. So that became a motif for me this idea of information and how things interrelate, and interreact. And in that painting, Patience Blue, instead of it being a light source, now it becomes a physical thing, a dark little cocoon, almost like a seed. And then the light is forming around it, right? And then I decided, well, it become figurative because I was trying to I was trying to learn how to unlearn figurative painting. So I would still make a figurative painting that didn't involve the
2: human form.
1: And I wanted to make an abstract painting that wasn't about abstraction as we knew it in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and the abstract expressionists or Kandinsky or anybody like that. I thought, how can I combine these two ideas of abstraction and figuration? Into a new language, um, and at that time, I was reading a lot about uh, the Sumerians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians and Mesopotamians, and I was looking at the cuneiforms. I was looking at um, the hieroglyphs, and so I, it, you're talking about transcendental. So you know, you begin thinking about well, what is language, and what are thoughts? And how do thoughts become language? You know, so language is a way of communicating. Okay, but originally it starts with a thought. What does that thought look like? So that's was the essence of these paintings: is where do these what do these thoughts look like without language? The pure essence of a thought, or the pure feeling of, in this case, you know it's it's very physical but it's also very ethereal simultaneously so it's about the thought of something and the thing itself does that make sense yeah <laughs> you're thinking about it <laughs> i'm
0: thinking i'm trying to visualize it see um uh what they say in Transcendental Meditation, when you finally let go and you forget your mantra, you're actually being. Yeah. So my question was, so thought doesn't have thought, there's no thought and being? And the teacher said, no. There's
1: no thought in me. It's a it's a blissful moment. Right. Yes. That's, I think, what, you know, these paintings are after is that moment. That That moment that transcends our physical body, that transcends our mind, that transcends thought, that transcends language, and it's just a moment of being, right? And so you get to see, you know, stand in front of these paintings, it's like, how did this thing happen? What is it? It is itself.
2: Yeah.
1: You know it's not I can tell you all the things that fed into it and I can tell you what was happening in my life at that time but that's secondary because it's a painting that exists on its own outside of me yeah. at, at this point. And in The Patience in the Blue I was also reading a book at the time of Roth book that Rothko wrote Mark Rothko and I it was chapter was plastic, plasticity and there was a freight of thing that he said you know it's about having patience in the blue which is i think what you're talking about you know the blue being the sort of transcendental moment so you have to have patience in that moment patience within yourself to understand go right and you know if you think about Rothko's paintings and the purity of color and taking out the shapes and the forms and the figuration just having these oblong moments suspended that's what it is you know it's that transcendental moment but the patience in the blue really struck me and um that painting is also, you know, it is figurative, and there's probably well over a hundred layers of glazes on that painting, and it's very thick. The surface is super thick. And then I would let the brush, I would load up a, a brush with um, mixed with with glazed uh, galkid medium and paint and just push it across and swoosh it across until the glaze would start dropping you know and start drooping down and dripping down and and that interested me and what gravity was doing and it was outside of my control and then I had something now to respond to so which was very you know it's like the images that I was using of the radar screen that was outside of my control but it gave me something to respond to mm-hmm. and I think life is very similar in that way, you know. There's so many things outside of our control, but we're constantly responding to it. So I was, I was literally sort of recreating that um, in these paintings.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I don't know how you knew how to do that, but that's why you're shang a fog. <laughs> um,
1: I don't know. There's so many things that I I know I don't know and I don't want to know. And I don't, I don't dare ask myself to delve into it because it'll probably shut me down. So I just keep moving.
0: Well, apparently you can't get there with an analytical mind. It, yeah, there's no getting there. No,
1: no, no. That, you know, that's an interesting thing that you're saying there because years ago, I read the Tao of physics and you know, it was a comparison and contrasting between ancient Taoism and contemporary physics. And the similarities were so parallel. And I thought, well, is this because this was an ancient culture that was highly advanced and lost everything? And and what we have are little mythological stories that have the same numbers embedded in these stories that physicists are now finding, like the how many, the beginning of the universe, and it was 4.3, whatever, billion years ago. Um, the Taoists the had this almost the same number. That's an abstract thing. How is that possible? You know? So then I started thinking, well, maybe that information is within all of us, but we've blocked it out. Maybe everything that we need to know is is the fact that we are who we are. But we're not, we don't know how to ask the question. So we're stuck in this moment of trying to understand. We're asking constantly, what's the answer? What's the answer? We're the answer. Life is the answer. It's the question that we need to learn to ask. And that's, I think, back to what you're talking about is by asking, you know, ancient Taoism will. Did they come upon that knowledge because they were an advanced civilization and then they got wiped out? Or did they process information in a different way? Were they a highly advanced and spiritual nature, what we would consider a spiritual nature? And, you know, because you read about all these ancient cultures that had all this this, this knowledge, this wisdom, and they built these great monuments, but there's no trace of how they did it. Well, Maybe they knew things we don't know. And maybe it's not based on our idea of technology. Maybe it's a deeper understanding of really the mechanics of the universe and how things actually work. I don't know. These are thoughts that I have all the time. And these thoughts permeate into these paintings. Because I'm asking questions. So these questions, these paintings are really the questions that I'm posing. They're, I don't intend for them ever to be an answer.
0: Yeah, I understand. <laughs> There's so many things that are coming up for me, and what you're saying, but I want to stay on track. Um, okay. Some of the. <laughs> also... What track are
1: we on, by the way? <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: I want to stay on track with this conversation because there are so many things that uh, I'm studying right now that are relative to this. But I want to stay within this context of these paintings and and what you're doing, and also about patterns. Um, I mean, in, in us in listening to what you're saying, we don't know. Okay, we're going to start talking about the patterns paintings now. We can talk about crossings first or a tainted hunger. Well, let's
1: let's go stand in hunger. Let's go in
2: a chronological order. Yeah.
0: Um, so if we're talking about non-analytical and following following your intuitive self, yes, I do believe we've we've got amnesia and, and it's in there and we have to unlock it. Apparently, also we're all we all can we all can find enlightenment within ourselves. It's, we don't have to go yes. to the guru, we don't have to pay a bunch of money, and you don't have to do all this. It's in there, we just have to um get out of our own way and yes, and and go through some of these things. <laughs> um, the transcendental meditation. Mm maybe there's other ways of getting there. Um, but with that, uh, in the sainted hunger, Hungary, you've got these patterns. And, you know, I'm always reminded by when you were speaking to that doctor and the doctor was saying, you know, can you draw that, that sound? And you drew it. Yeah. And it was actually, you know, I believe you said it was Sanskrit. And yes. you know, these patterns are a language Yes, they're before thought. We don't know what they are. When you look at them, we don't know if they're familiar. Um, I had a guest come in here and they said, wow, this painting was done in you know 1998." And look at the look at the ribbons. It's the beginning of the ribbons, and then there's this, this sort of sacred like champ, you know. On top mm. of the surface, and then you've got this dance underneath, and then you've got these like these points, these meridians, and then you've got mm. the light, and, and you know, the sun and the moon, and you know, obviously none of it's there, but there's something deep within it, and it's this all there.
1: Is there. I mean, you have those, those yellow lines that are it's a Naples yellow that's going from left to right, right to left, horizontally, <clears throat> and there's, there's five rows of three. And so five is for our five senses three is for myself my mother and my father you know because my mother and my father created me so it's a trilogy and and so and if you look at in the center there's a a purple um sort of a magenta uh other little dot or, or sort of a diamond shape that's painted yeah. Yeah, that's painted in the middle over the, over the yellow, the Naples yellow, so it's directly centered, but as you go to the right, then they become off-centered, almost as if when the moon is moving in front of the sun, and when it goes to the left does the same thing, so in the center is a total eclipse, but as it moves the opposite directions, then they become out of alignment those marks do and then and then on top of that you have five totems of these red dots and so what I did was on this painting the ribbon movement in there was very subconscious moment that I painted and it's just me you know moving my arm moving my body as I do now And then, so it's a subconscious moment that I can consciously respond to. And and then once that part of it was done, I took a piece of paper and I folded it up. I don't know how many times, I don't remember. And then I took a hole punch and I punched out the basic shape of what I had painted. And then when I unfolded it, like when a kid, you know, does that, becomes a snow snowflake or whatever that you do in school.
2: Okay.
1: Suddenly I have this this other pattern that's being created by something else that I've done. So it's a multiple, it's like a chain reaction. I do one thing and then it creates something else and something else and something else. And I think that's true in life. We have a thought that manifests and takes us in this direction or that direction. We have a thought that that causes us to make a left-hand turn out of a right-hand lane, and we end up in a car accident, you know? And so these things, these thoughts manifest into our reality, into our our physical space. And so that's what I was playing with in those totems. And again, there's five of them, four or five senses. And as I recall, I think that the totems are repeated five times as they go up. They They mirror themselves. So it's, again, about our five senses, but it's it's the happenstance of the subconscious moment of, of creating that ribbon that then creates the patterns. So well, I was thinking a lot about the subconscious and how the subconscious creates consciousness. And then what happens when we're consciously aware of our subconscious? What does that look?
0: yeah
1: so it looks like that painting i think yeah (laughs) in my in my mind i don't know
0: well so you were sort of led to do this by showing up to the studio and sort of surrendering having a bit of a plan but just going for it, and you've made many pattern paintings, and we've talked about pattern paintings, Mm but this is quite unique. And then the title of it, A Sainted Hunger. Hunger, yeah. Let's talk about that.
1: Well, let's see now, that was done in 1998, so, and it was done, that painting was painted in the room you're sitting in, because that was one time my studio. I kept moving around, sort of drifting around from Space to space in the courtyard there, and and I I still do, but um, I I was thinking about sainted to me means that you're uh, you're otherworldly, right? And if you're otherworldly, like you're beyond the mortal temptation, you've been sainted. You're a saint, yeah. but. All saints have a hunger. We there's a hunger for it's almost like uh what was that movie by Vim Vender? Um, the angel one. And uh what was the name of that? Um I can't remember right now, but anyway, the great Vim Vender film. <laughs> it's all black and white, and these these angels are watching the humans, and I should look it up real quick. And they're watching the humans, and and you know, they and they want to help, and, and and what they and they have eternity, but what they long for is a physical world of experience, and they hunger for it.
2: Mm.
1: Wings of Desire oh, is the name, yeah. And so, and so these angels are, they hunger, they for the physical realm so that they can experience the emotions of sorrow and happiness and love and joy and hatred and everything else that goes with being human. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, you know, so, but but they, we humans, of course, want eternity. We don't want to die. We want to be around forever. But those that were around that are around forever want what we have, the human experience. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: hence, that becomes a sainted hunger.
2: Mm.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I can't help but smile because the painting, sainted hunger and the painting that's behind you that you're currently working on, um, the ribbons are reminiscent of each other.
1: They are. Yeah. And I, I, I did the the dark, the triptych that I'm working on right now. And I started it um, two and a half years ago, I think it was or three years ago, uh, when my father died. And it was moving quickly, and then all of a sudden it stalled. And I lost contact with it. It was no longer the communication line was broken. And so it sat in the storage room here for until then. And then I pulled it out a couple of weeks ago. And <clears throat> I just felt like it was unfinished business that I needed to clean up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's like when you have a relation, like, like when you break a relationship, but you never quite let them know that, oh, by the way, I'm not coming home uh, tonight and, or ever. Uh, you just don't show up. Right, which is not a good way to do it. But, um, and I felt that with this painting and it needed closure. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I brought it out and I I put it in my studio and I kept looking at it to see if I could finish it. Mm -hmm. And I realized I couldn't, Mm -hmm. because I had no more connection to that moment in time. Mm
2: -hmm. That was gone. Mm -hmm. I had
1: moved on. Mm -hmm. So I painted over the whole thing.
2: Mm
1: And, and then I put it up on this, this movable easel, motorized easel that goes up and down. And I did this indigo blue over a cobalt blue. And I I took three brushes and we were talking about three. And I took three brushes and took a piece of wood and, and screwed them all together with this piece of wood. And um, it gives me. The freedom to move and and have this wide brush and sometimes the brush separates and thing else and and it makes marks that I wasn't anticipating again which allows me to respond to to an accident to a sub moment which I'm always you know I always want that that interplay and um, so I did this indigo blue which is very similar to the background of Saint and Hunger. And then I realized that it needs also white over the top of that, another another layer, and then these, this light and dark need to dance together. And why, I mean, I could, I could guess, I could say, well, you know, because of this, this, this in my life right now, but I, that then becomes so didactic, I don't, Then why would make the painting. I'd rather explore the reasons why through the paint than through my intellect. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then once it's done, I can stand back and look at it and then conceptualize why I had a need to make this painting.
2: Mm -hmm. The main
1: objective for me when I'm painting is to just get out of my own way, which I think is very similar to transcendental. Meditation. You know, you, you you have to get out of your own way. You have to get out of your own thoughts. You have to, to just be in the moment. Right?
0: Uh you just you, you don't have to do that. You, you just, just
1: do. You just be.
0: Yeah, you don't have to do that. Normal or other meditation teaches you that, but they don't do that. Uh at least that's not what I've been taught. No, you, you're focused on this mantra and then um and it you get you know multiple narrations of different stories and scenes and you can't control it. So you just right. let go and let go. You exactly. Let go. And within, That's what I'm saying. So with
1: this painting, yeah, I have multiple narrations going on, but I have to go. I don't want to know what they are. I just want to be present.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And explore
2: mm-hmm.
1: the act of painting.
0: Mm-hmm. That what make is sense.
1: Hmm? What is what?
0: What is the act of painting for you?
1: Oh, it's a physical act. It's an emotional act. It's a conceptual act. It's an intellectual act. It's a spiritual act. It's all those things combined. It's the act of being. I don't. I never know you know i have multiple paintings going on in my studio when i walk in here i never know which painting i'm going to work on i don't want to know mm-hmm. walk into the studio and then i i look around and i see which one is speaking to me and that's the one that i that i walk up to
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i don't i never know what brush strokes i'm going to make i don't i don't want to know
2: mm-hmm. i just
1: want to be in that moment
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it's a blissful thing
0: yeah yeah I was going to say like can you describe it but it's probably it's one of those things that's hard to describe mm. right
1: It's yeah it is it's very blissful and I, the only way I can describe it is and I tell this to people that it's like I'm dipping my toes into the pond of the universe mm-hmm. you know I don't know how else to say it it's mm-hmm. quite profound Mm-hmm. And you know, I said what's a pond of the universe? I don't know. But it's it's the only thing that I can say that kind of references something about our physical realm.
0: Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's super interesting. Really, really interesting. Let's let's talk about the third painting in this show. Crossing.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: Crossing. They're all big paintings. Ah, uh, you couldn't put another painting in here. It's there's so much activity in here. There's a chair. Well, the
1: the, the patience in the blue. The patience in the blue painting is seven feet by seven feet. Mm-hmm. And then the saint in hunger is seven feet by five and a half feet. And crossings is six feet by. Is that six feet by four feet i believe
0: yeah 74 by
1: 52. okay 52. it's bigger than that so it's it's six feet two by yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: by four feet four inches <clears throat> and that painting um by this point i had a studio a big studio downtown um on fifth and alameda and it was 1,500-square-foot um, open room space. And I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I had about 10 or 12 paintings going all at the same time, lined up around the studio. And that painting, um, what it's interesting because when I moved down there, I needed more space and I needed... I, I needed to be isolated because at that point I was married and, you know, with a little child and um, it's great to work from home, but you don't have the solitude that's required. Um, it's very hard to get to that place. Really. And so this friend of mine called me about a space downtown. I went and looked at it, rented it. And... I didn't know, I thought I was gonna start a series of paintings when I went down there based on multiple panels and these circles and how these circles eclipse each other and and out of that came patterns. But I got down there and the energy was much different. It, It wasn't there for me. So I started a painting And again, it was just, you know, my, the thing I was most comfortable with, which was sort of this ribbon-esque movement. And and I sat and looked at it when I had done it. And I thought, oh no, I'm in the same spot again. How do I break out of this spot? I don't want to keep making the same painting because then I feel like I'm illustrating an idea instead of the painting being the idea itself so what i did was i grabbed a sketch pad and a pencil and i did a drawing of what i had just painted and that was a moment of like ah ah here's something and so then i did another drawing of it another drawing of it and so i i realized that i was consciously interacting with my subconscious and so then I took that to the next step. And I thought, well, what if I were to say on a canvas that this drawing is gonna be repeated, it's gonna be mirrored and mirrored top to bottom, side to side, and let's say it goes 12 across and 12 down. And you have to have a new number for it to work out. And so that'd be 144 times. So then I, I did a measurement of the canvas And how big it was, and divided that by 12, and that gave me this little square. So then I did a drawing again of that square on that square. And then I folded it in half with another piece of paper, and I took an X Acto knife and I cut it out. And that became the template. So then what I did is I with a piece of chalk, I marked the corners of where this temple would go. And I began very systematically from left to right, um, top to bottom, painting these marks. And And I realized it was almost like a form of language and it was where I, back to where I was again, what do we, what are our thoughts look like before language is attached? Well, what if this underneath mo- movement is the basis for, you know, it's a a very subconscious moment. Is the basis for then a conscious reaction, and and then um, so that's where the crossings comes from. And then uh, what I started doing with that painting also is, I was thinking about light, and I was thinking about that we think we know everything around us, but as Einstein proved to us, that there's all kinds of things happening. You know, the scientists constantly proving to us there's, there's all kinds of things happening around us all the time. And our thoughts are energy, and everything has an energy to it. And so what if all of a sudden I could put on a pair of glasses and I could see the invisible? is what I was thinking. And <clears throat> what if light... Is just cascading right in front of us, cascading down. What if light is energy, and it's just falling from the leaves of trees? And what would that look like? So these were thoughts that I started to have, and I thought, well, what if light is cascading off of this ribbon-esque movement that I do, and it's it's just kept, you know, gravity's pulling it down. It's like a waterfall what would that look like so i started painting that and then while it was still wet i started taking turpentine and loading up a brush and putting it on the top of the canvas and letting it flow down and eat through the paint so we see what's underneath and we see what's on the top simultaneously and and then i you know painted all these patterns on the top of it so it you know it's it's a different way of saying what I've been saying with the other two paintings. That makes sense. So what I did was um, where the patterns are, I realized that it's where the light was crossing the underneath movement. And that's why I call it crossings. Oh, okay. It was a moment of an intersection.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, Brilliant painting. I mean, you just look at it and you're just like again, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't realize it. You just got to experience it. You know, you just got to yeah. look at it and sort of move along with the, the different um, marks and then stand back and experience the 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 lighter um, brush strokes or what whatever you want to call that yeah. um,
1: that what what do you want to call that light
2: blue oh it's again
1: you know when you say the word enlightenment and I think about light so you're in light and what's light light is illumination what's illumination you illuminate the darkness yeah. right break down the word and so i always think about light as consciousness
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you're you're in enlightening a moment and i think that comes in my mind it comes from a, an awareness a consciousness at that moment okay Does that makes sense
0: yeah for sure so we're These three paintings are blue. Yes. We're in a a room that's blue.
1: Yes, the blue room. Is
0: this a coincidence?
1: There are no coincidences.
0: (laughs) What's that about? The blue? Yeah.
2: I think of the blue
1: as as, you know the ocean and the sky and and me it's a very it's a pure color, it's a spiritual color, whatever spiritual means, you know, who knows. Um, I just, I find it soothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I find it, um, you know, like red is an aggressive color.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yellow, yellow, you know, according to the experts, it represents love. Um, blue is something that's very meditative and contemplative for me. Mm-hmm. And right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine blue canvases going on in my studio.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I have one yellow ochre and red canvas happening. So I, I'm flittering back and forth because every now and then it's like I need to see the red. I need that balance in my life. But for whatever reason right now, I'm really... submerged in in this blue and maybe it's the time of year maybe it's where i am in my life
2: yeah.
1: not sure but i find it soothing <laughs> yeah but you know i have another little canvas around here somewhere that i'm going to be starting and i decide it's going to be like a um a venetian red Burnt sienna background with this beautiful um, greens, and it's going to be a still point. Mm-hmm. I think. I think. It's a small
2: painting. Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, and I'm just, again, and that to me represents the earth. So, and I realize that maybe that's what I need to feel at the moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So these are you know all these paintings and personal journeys for me and those three paintings in the room you know like I said um patience in blue i began in 1994 and saint and hunger was 1998 and crossings i believe was 2 2000 excuse yeah. me in 2 huh right
0: 2001
1: 2001 and so it's not even a decade's worth of work in there, you know, but you can see the movement of where my mind was going.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, because these paintings take me so long to make, you know, they often take months. It's frustrating because I have, I'm bombarded with ideas. I'm bombarded with feelings and that I need to get out and ideas I need to get out. But I can't paint quickly enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, images flash before me that could be a whole series of paintings and I can't move fast enough to grab them.
2: Yeah.
1: And then as I'm working on a series, whether it's a Steel Point series or the crossings, you know, the, the pattern paintings, whatever, each painting brings up 10 more ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, I don't have enough hours in the day, enough days in the year to fulfill everything that's going on in my mind. So I'm never, I'm never worried about um, artist blog. Yeah. Needless to say.
0: Do you ever um, write notes about these things or you just kind of let them uh, kind of roam around in your consciousness?
1: I write notes sometimes. Um, During that period when I was making those three paintings, I think I did write, I was writing more, um, especially the crossings in that period of time. I was writing more um, right now, I'm not writing as much and because i I am writing, but it's not about these paintings. I'm writing about other things. I'm writing about other artists works, you know, for that magazine and
0: well we are we are working on that um. We are working still on our the life of the artist and the creative process. Yes, and we're
1: doing that, yeah.
0: Yeah, we are working on that. Um, yeah, so
1: that all, that all weaves into it, you know, in terms of writing and stuff.
0: But one of the last questions I have um, obviously, okay. these were not done listening to Friends list, um, but we do know that when you see color, you do see sound, uh, you hear. Yes. Sound and we we do know that indian ragas are something that you do listen to but i i don't think these relate to that i think these are from a different different dimension
1: i was listening to um and i remember very clearly like patience in the blue um, you know this is before the internet and all that kind of stuff so i had a whole collection of world music cds right I was listening to Australian uh, digi music,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was listening to um, Celtic music
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Scottish bagpipes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was listening to Indian Raga music, and I was also
2: listening to
1: classical music, Blitz and Beethoven and and Bach and um, you know the the classical classical music. I wasn't listening all that much yet to Philip Glass or Eric Satie. That hadn't really entered into my realm yet. I was, but I do remember, and I have, I still have these CDs. I have a collection of them, you know. And listening to these Australian Indigenous and just like wow, this music and these these rhythms, and also African music, I was listening to. Um, And it was, you know, it was very, very, um, it was things that I was drawn to things I couldn't find on the radio. Mm -hmm. I didn't, anything I could hear on the radio, I didn't want to listen to. I just wanted to listen to music from cultures around the world in its purest form. I didn't want to listen to music that was a fusion of, Hip hop and this and that. Mm-hmm. That to me, it was watering it all down. I know I know that makes it more palpable to general audience, but I wanted the purity of it. And so, and also Gregorian chants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I would paint four or five hours listening to Gregorian chants. Mm-hmm. Try that one on for size.
0: Yeah, no, I, mean, I know. I like Gregorian chants. Um, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like these paintings. Um, I mean, do you think there's some layer of that in here? Because I think there is.
1: Of what the Gregorian chants?
0: Just you know that I mean, you see color and you hear a note. So yeah, you know. So I think there's probably a layer of.
2: Oh
1: absolutely, you know, like the, like like I was talking about the, the digi that you know that so imagine that as a deep blue, an indigo blue sound that's just reverberating, reverberating, and then and then you have another little sound that comes out of that. Well, what would that sound be like? It would be like the spark of light coming coming out of the darkness. You know, so like crossings, which is right behind you right now. You know, there's a lot of chiaroscuro in that. There's a lot of this light coming out of the darkness, mm-hmm. coming forward, which, you know, goes back to Rembrandt, Caravaggio, Leonardo, and the Italian masters. But um, but again, these, when I look at, think about art history, I it's like they're all words that become part of a sentence that I get to add another word to. And, you know, art history is like this ongoing conversation between artists throughout the millennia or through centuries worth. And just because what somebody was painting or saying or writing, creating 500 years ago, the different time and place. But, you know, a great work of art, again, transcends its that moment when it, of its creation. And it speaks to something about our humanness. Right? And that's what makes art great, is what it can do at. It's not about when it was created. It's not about the politics of the time or the wars that were going on at that time or the economy of that time. It's about how it speaks to the being human, that's what great art does. You know, that's why we flock to see the old masters. That's why we stand in line to see a, a an exhibition of Van Gogh's. You know, was Van Gogh's world similar to ours? Not really. Was Leonardo da Vinci's world similar to ours? Absolutely not. Was the Egyptians world similar to ours? No, no, but it's how they translate their moment in time on this planet that we resonate with. So in that sense, the word is transcendental sends its time, and it becomes the thing itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you were super excited when we brought these out and hung them on the wall.
1: I was. I hadn't seen them in a long time. They've just been in storage, and they haven't really been exhibited hardly at all. And I've just kept them stashed away as my favorites. And um, yeah, it's very exciting for me to see them. And, and Recognizing myself in them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A former, you know, an earlier version of me now. But it's still there. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I'm not making the same painting, but I am making the same painting. I'm still speaking about the same thing. I'm still exploring
2: mm-hmm. the
1: essence of this this. Indescribable thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're doing it in different ways, but I think that's, you know, I think as you're walking down the street, you're supposed to see that everywhere.
1: I do, that's my problem. <laughs> so, so I have to be careful kind of where made, I
0: walk. It has many faces, you know, love has many faces.
1: Yes, it does. it It's an infinite face.
0: Okay.
1: It's infinite, right? And it's a choice to look into the darkness or look into the light.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: These are the choices that we have. So these paintings are really are really um about the duality of our nature between light and dark.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Great. And- is there is there anything else you
1: want to say? No, I think my brain is zapped.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank
1: you. I I I I didn't know if I was even up for this tonight. I must say, and it's almost it's quarter of 10 of 7 right now, PM. And um, I've had a long day and um a friend of mine, Wayne and I built a dog house for Frida. Big doghouse, and it looks really cool, and <laughs> and it was a lot of fun to do it, you know, and because it's it's getting down to zero degrees here, freezing, oh my God. yeah, and um, and I'm going to be in LA this coming weekend, so which means I'm not going to leave her in the house because nobody's going to be here, and which means that she has to be outside. So I thought, you know what, better build her a doghouse with her little bed so she can stay inside there and stay with Okay. Yeah. So now I'm in my studio and um, and then you asked if I would do this and I did. Eh, I can try. I didn't know if, if my brain was going to work or not but I guess it did.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. It was very, very good. Very good and we're looking at the paintings together and you know, it's an effortless conversation because we're just looking at them, you
1: know? Yeah, they're old friends for me. And um, it's nice because I I don't look at them with an eye towards critiquing them. I just accept them
2: mm-hmm. because
1: that was a time in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that time is passed. And so those paintings are Historical documentations of that. There are documentations of those moments of my life, and so it's it's interesting for me to look at them now, and I feel good about them. I think they're good paintings. I think they're well painted. I think they're accomplished. I think on many levels, and I'm proud of them. And I'm you know sometimes you know you you make a painting and you think oh God you know And but these they' they're, they're very they're nice paintings I think they're really nice paintings they're quite beautiful and you know when it's time for them to leave or not um then they'll do what they're supposed to do
0: mm-hmm. well they're magnificent they're thank
1: wonderful. you thank you Victoria I appreciate that
0: yeah they are they're they're masterpieces each one well well great. Um they they really are and I hope people come out and see experience this and if they want to meditate in here, we've got a chair and I've got a blanket and just like feel it, feel the space, feel the time.
2: Yeah.
0: Feel thank you see what you can feel in here and
1: and that is this Saturday. It's open to the public, and I will be there, so you can ask me all the questions you want, and I may or may not answer them. Um, it's from noon till four.
0: That's right, December third. December,
1: December third, twenty twenty-two. <laughs> there you go. Now I've time-stamped our conversation.
0: All right. Okay. okay. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and thank you for for insisting I do this. I need a little nudge every now and then. Yeah. All
2: right. Thank you, Victoria.
0: Thank you.
2: Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.